I, I'm going to give you an outline today because this is going to help. Help. Helpful. We need to dive right in because I have no idea how I'm going to cover this subject. I do not like writing this sermon. This is the last sermon on this section, and then we're going to go on to uh, the next portion of portion of John three. But I'm going to give you an outline because you're not going to think there's an outline to this message, and there is. So um, the outline, the first, the first word is words. Two, analogy. Okay, that's fine. Uh, yeah, thank you. And three, gap. Gap, the gap. And the reason, I don't mean the store. Um, and what I'm going to talk about mostly today is this word, monogenes. And the reason we're, and so what I'm finding is, when you walk with me, I, I love, one of the things I really enjoy is, is kind of getting my fingers dirty in the, in the Bible. Like, I like to get my fingers into the words, like, to, to get into the syntax and the grammar and the flow of a, of a discourse, and, and let's explore everything it's going to say. But there comes a point when we're talking about Christian teaching where you need to be a little more topical, where a subject comes up, for example, that isn't adequately being dealt with in the particular context or passage that we're in. And this, right now, is one of those points, one of those junctions, one of those places, one of those needs where you're, you being equipped, each one of you being equipped with good theological training, understanding, comprehension as much as is possible of these very things, that theology is going to be your friend. And the reason I say that right now is because we live in the age of the designer Jesus, Right? Designer Jesus. Who wants him? I, can, you, can your Jesus be a little more gay for me? Could your, Jesus, could your Jesus be a little more liberal? Can your Jesus be a little more conservative? Can your Jesus... It's designer. It's, it, this is it. I, we, we were like a... If I compare this generation, when it comes to Jesus, or it comes to faith, or it comes to the Bible, or it comes to Christianity, and not just doesn't do it just with Christianity. Too, it does it with everything. And it takes this... To a consumer model to the absurd. What I mean is, like, it's like this: you walk, you walk through the Bible. So you're walking. Maybe you listen to me, and you go, "You know what? I like that. I like what he said there." And you take that and you put it in your cart. You go on. I don't like that. I don't like what he said the other week. I'm going to go back. I'm not going to keep that one. I'm going to push my. Oh, you know what? God is love. I like that one. I'm going to take that one off the cart. I'm going to put that in my bin. And what do we do slowly as we go through life, as we, as we think, we slowly build and manufacture our own theology, our own designer Jesus, a Jesus that fits into our lives. What does a designer Jesus look like? Well, maybe he's Asian, if you're Asian. Maybe he's black, if you're black. Maybe he's white, if you're white. As long as he's your Jesus, Right? Well, I mean, this, this is rampant. And, and in fact, I want to say something today. I want to advocate something that you'll never hear a preacher advocate again. I would rather you were an atheist than one of these modern build-your-own-Jesus because the Jesus you build is always going to be a false idol. And what's going to happen, and what does happen, and what has happened in this generation is to create a God, a creature that never existed, a unicorn, a fantasy called Jesus, or God, or something like that. There's nothing like the scripture, nothing like what the church has preached or taught or known, or nothing of what is really the business of the Bible. No, it's, it's the Jesus who makes you feel good. 
Well, I, sorry, I'm, I don't know that Jesus. Because that Jesus doesn't exist. The designer Jesus of this generation. All right, what are we going to do with this? What I want to do is I want to take this idea of monogenes and the way it occurs in John. It's been in John 1, 14 and 18. It's in this chapter in John 3, I think 16 and 18 again. And then John actually does it in his epistle, 1 John 4, 9. Monogenes. He's the only one who uses it to refer to Jesus. Monogenes. And we need to take some time to look at that. Does anybody know which word in your text is monogenes? Anybody? And I'm curious, this is going to test some of you. Some of you know a little bit of Greek to be dangerous. Monogenes. Let me explore it close for you. Mono means, anybody get a guess on mono, by the way? Only or one, right? Only or one. And then genes, anybody have a, anybody have a, a field, of, field of guess? Son, oh, that's interesting. So who said son? All right, that's not bad, but it's not son. But, but gene, mean, we, see the, we see the word here, genes. G-E-N-E-S, genes, as in genetics, is where we get the word genetics. The only begotten. Now, if you read your ESV, and we look at verse 16, you look at verse 18, you will not see this expression, only begotten. You won't see it. Does anybody know what they replaced it with? The word only. Now, I don't know. This is one of, I think, one of the biggest mistakes that the ESV has done in their translation of the New Testament. There are other words that use the word lonely in Greek, only in Greek. But the word only is not a good translation of this word. And in fact, this, this word is so much richer and weirder. In fact, it's so weird. I think that's one of the reasons why they try to translate it in a very comfortable way. And what are they doing? Well, I think they're designing Jesus a little. I think they're designing Jesus a little. Because this opening word, it is Knock your head weird. It just doesn't, what? Only what begotten? Eternal, begotten, all these ideas all of a sudden are crashing into the text. John has been unambiguous. He believes that a new thing has walked the world. A new thing has stomped Palestine. And what is it? The God-man. A new kind of person has arrived into space and time and history. The God-man. The Lord, the God, the eternal God, made flesh, made real, as real as Sid, as real as me. And so this, this, this word, this, it, it became, it's interesting, that you could take the etymology of genetics, and you, genes, and you could say one of a kind, perhaps. One of a kind, which is a way of saying sui generis, right? So one of a kind. But this only problem with that is, is he is the monogenes son. The word, in other words, the language of having kids is being used here about a son, a father and a son. So it is not appropriate. It is not adequate. It is a mistranslation. It is a hedging translation. I'm going to say this. It makes me angry. It's a hedging translation of the SV. They're hedging because it's a weird word. And its only resolution led the entire church for hundreds of years to try to explore what does it mean for an eternal son to be begotten of an eternal father. And that riddle and that puzzle and that, and that what is it, what, so this, right out the gate, right out the gate, you can't design Jesus anymore. He is the only, 
begotten. Why, why do you think they would hesitate here? Why would they, why would there might be a little bit of a pullback against the strangeness and this mystery of this kind of word? The only, of this only kind begotten? I think because in the end, the uniqueness of Christ is a threat to universalism and its false gospel. The gospel of this generation is all are saved. The gospel of this generation is there are many ways to Christ. And, but the text, and then John knows this. John, and I think John takes the monogenes word for a very particular reason. John, we know as an author, John as a thinker, John as an apostle and pastor, is writing his gospel after Matthew, having read Matthew, after Mark, having read Mark, after Luke, writing, having read Luke. And so he is upping the gambit. He is upping the ploy. He is upping the mystery to make sure we do not miss the exclusivity of Christ in his person. And this is weird. Like, it is, Christ is by definition of who he is, either or. <laughs> it's, look, at, look what it says. Look at the last verse. Where does judgment even come from? It happens on whether you know Jesus or not. What does it, what does it say? If you don't, nobody knows Christ, they're already what? Condemned. Why? Because they have not believed in the name of the monogenes, Huios Theos, the one, the one and only, the only begotten Son of God. And for and this in this puzzle, this, this is this enormous kind of this, this is not the designer Christ, this is the Christ of glory and grandeur, this is the Christ upon the cross, and this is Christ bleeding. He is here for those who know him and trust him, and nobody else. Oh, how this generation bristles at exclusivity. I know, I know it does. But John picks words that leave you with no choices other than to choose Christ or not. Now, some of you will say to me, that's just such a limp. I don't even know how to share that message with others, right? Let alone myself. I know. It, it is the one designer label you wish Jesus would have worn. <laughs> would have been nice. Maybe. Maybe. I'll challenge that a little bit. You know, I, I, I find that um, if Christ is truth, true truth, because he is, then he's true the way two plus two is true. Not the way I feel good is true. You notice the difference between those two statements? The truth of my feelings is one thing. The truth of mathematical fact. This is this idea. This, is, this creates a mathematical kind of pro, pro, proposal. There is only one of this kind, and there only can be one from eternity. And that forces the issue. It forces the question. It assaults. And I look, I'm not asking you to go assault everybody, but this scripture and this gospel assaults this generation, and they're not going to like it. And there's a part of us that doesn't like it. But there it is. So, right out the gate, I want us to uh, give up our conceptions of Christ that are false. So we can walk into the joy of what is true, and what is real. So the words matter. So, the word, so right out the gate, the exclusivity of Christ is what the words talk about. 
But I think John was aware that the mysterious part of this, as well as its aggressive singularity that it describes of Jesus Christ, even as he, as he fills, it with, fills Christ with all this divine power, and his, John's more concerned about the divinity of Christ than almost any of the other New Testament authors. He's, he's out to prove it. He is out to prove it. But then finally, what about analogy? Now, see, see, now, so we know, I gave you something here about Christ, and it's threatening. It's, it, 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 sends, it, sends, it pushes you away, doesn't it? It just pushes you away. Him only, and no other way. And then, but then, can you know God? You know, this, this mono, yeah, it talks about father-son stuff, right? Father and son. Why is father and son a way you can know about God? Honestly, why is it? Because God, as he really is, can't be understood. Let me, let, let me give you an idea here. There's two different, this is why I need this blackboard today. There's two different ways to approach knowing God. Two different places you can approach it. And that is either God, is, well first is deism. And that is the idea that way over here, God is far, far away. If there is a God, you can't know him. God is merely far, far away from you and far away from everybody. He is completely and utterly and totally unavailable by virtue of who he is. Cry all you want. Shout all you want. He started the universe. He's the great watchmaker. He set it going and he is far away and removed. You know whose God this is? Islam. God is completely separate from his creation. On the other side is pantheism. And what does that mean? All is God. Now what we're doing here, and this is saying that this is God. And I'm God. And you're God. And we're God. And let's, here, let's touch each other. Now we're even more like God. Let's all hug. These, these both have so many problems. This is so unsatisfying and ugly and grim and completely unbiblical. But so is this. Because in this side, the child molester reveals God. Right? All is God. And there's no, what is evil? There's all sorts of problems over here. There's all sorts of problems over here. And they're both unbiblical. But what are we, what are we, what are we here for? We're here for the monogenes. Yay! Hey, come on, let's go. Monogenes. We're here because God is completely separate from his universe. What is it, 14 billion years old, maybe from 46 billion light years uh, radius? All that is, all that is, and God is completely separate. But, he said, when he made this, does anybody remember how, what God said after he made plants and and uh, mountains and seas and oceans and stars and planets. And does that, he said it over and over again. He said it, he said it five times. What did, what did God say about his creation? It is good. I don't want you to miss this. It is a moral world. To say something's good is to say it has a moral quality to it. But what did he, he changed his tone when he, when he made men and women. What did he call them? Very good. He made man and woman, and he said, he saw it, and he said, this is very good. This good and very good, what it does is, is it gives us a promise. 
the universe was made by God as a way of revealing his nature. And he walks us into the paths of knowledge. This is what's amazing. God created fatherhood, sonship, being a daughter. He created all this stuff. He created all the web and the fracture and the, uh, the web. He created the web and, the, and all the, the, the details of our familial structures. And you know why he built them this way? You know why he built them as father and son? Because he knew that he could finally, in that actual relationship, show us how he means to love. You get this? It's, it, he's talking, it's like this. Um, I'm not really good at this, but you'll understand what I meant. I think. It, does anybody else here try to do baby talk? I'm not really a baby talk person. I talk to kids like they're adult, kind of. I usually talk a little more slowly and sweetly. And little kids, we, wah, 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 wah. You know, you play with kids, you talk baby talk. Again, not very good at it. But, but it, my, 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 uh, I always put my sons to sleep. because, And I was always the one to put them to sleep because I would just talk to them. And they always fall asleep. And so, um, that's why they don't go to church. Nah, so, what, is, what am I talking about here? There is, in the stuff of what it means for you guys to be married, what, in this stuff of what it means for you to have a father or to have a child, in the stuff, and in all this stuff of who we are, is the stuff where God can say, this is who I am, this is what I do, this is how I love, this is how I chase I am the mono, I'm the only begotten of the Father. And the whole beginning idea, it, it's what Christ's way of walking and speaking baby talk to us so we can know and sit there in our, because we can't see him. We're confused by darkness. We're, we're afraid half the time of what's going to happen next. We don't understand our world. We don't understand ourselves. And then our Father speaks. And what is he? And he says, call me Father. But didn't you know God... That, that language is completely inadequate to describe him. You know that, don't you? He's eternal. He, he completely is greater than any description. But he can still be truly known because he built it in there. He built his own back door into the system. Does that make sense? He built his own back door into all of reality because it was meant to be a revelation of his intentions, of his love, of his grandeur, of his power, of his, of his, love, his judgments. You know, I wonder how much is here. This is what I'm, I'm talking about is natural theology. But you'll notice that we're doing natural theology. We're looking at nature the way God shows us to. And I wonder at times, you know, it's, you can't help but escape it. Werner Herzog, in his documentary about lava, which I really encourage you to see if you're into lava. I love lava. Lava, I want to, I, one of my goals in life is to poke lava with a stick in real time. I might die doing it, but I want to do it. I just want to poke it, see what happens. It has to be soft enough to poke. One of the things Herzog says is, Herzog, in his atheism, and this is why atheists are a gift to the church, because they don't pray to a false god. An atheist, as an atheist, he says, we live on a ball of death. There is death below us and above us. The universe does not care. We are alone. Death is everywhere. You are walking on death. You live beneath death. And this world is not your friend. You live on a hostile edge of complete annihilation at all times. I'm not actually going, this is depressing. Beautifully shot. 
Not enough pictures of lava, though. I could just watch lava. It's like watching a fire. It's like lava. Doesn't that tell us something about what the universe is? I think so. God is telling us this universe is like. I have put you in the palm of my hand in this beautiful planet. But just so you understand, everything for a billion light years in every direction will kill you. Everything. <laughs> wow. What kind of God is this? What sort of God is this? So he gave us analogy. And that means is that the stuff, the analogy, the stuff of being father, daughter, son, um, mom, all these different things about family started to reveal God. Even, and then it winds up, it's kind of fun. Like, even like transactional stuff. Uh, I don't have any money on me, but like God uses all those images because they describe how he saves and rescues and loves and captures. It's just wonderful, you see? All the different stuff and parts and pieces. This is why we use illustrations. This is why, why guys, Jesus is called a lion or sometimes he's called a, 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 a morning star. It's because we can mine this world. You see, there's a really, there's a philosophical problem here is you and your puny little brain, Sidwin, it's okay. Yours is not much more puny than anybody else's. Cannot understand God. It's not possible. In fact, it's flat out impossible. How could the finite even name the infinite? Unless what? The infinite tells you his name. See, God is both completely unknowable and then beautifully available. In Jesus Christ. What's the, what's the uh, application here with analogy? As unreachable as God feels right now, he is that available. The stuff of understanding him is all around you. It's been given to you in the scripture. Everything from the images of cities and countryside and, and husbandry and vine dressing. Take whatever you want. <laughs> the knowledge of God is available because he has made it available. You are made of God's stuff. You are. You're made of God's stuff. You are. You're not God, but you're made of stuff that, re that reveals him and shows him. If you look inside yourself, you'll find God's stuff there. It's how he made us. It's why Jesus can become a man and still be God. Because we were made to be able to hold the glory of God. Isn't that amazing? We were made to touch it, to know it, to walk in it, to swim in it, to talk to it, to, to adore it. And we can't even imagine it anymore. We're so far. This final picture of what my monogamy is, why the only begotten, this picture of a, a unique one who loves and uniquely loves and exclusively loves and loves in the stuff of who we are and the analogies of being and the analogies that make sense so that a dinner table, a dinner table, yes, even crackers and wine are able in this world by analogy reveal how accessible and immediate and available and beautiful filling is God's presence, right? That's just like that table. It can be known. Why? Well, this is the final idea that's here. And the, the monogenes, the only begotten, is this picture of in him, in his work, 
is a meeting of heaven and earth. So he is the God-man, right? He is the God-man. Now I want to see, there's a separation we could say. I've, I've filled my board up, haven't I? All right. All right. All right. So, so what we could do here is, look, there's, there's a gap between the eternal and the finite. And that gap is immeasurable. There's a, difference between, uh, there's a gap between the holy and the sinner. And that gap is immeasurable. That gap is eternal. That gap cannot be measured by men or crossed by any man or woman, by any good deed, by any nobility, by any searching. Can't be, can't be gap, can't be bridged. Can't get over that. Can't get up here. Can't go to, the sinner cannot go to the holy. Um, it says God so loved the world. But what about judgment? How does love, how did love and judgment come together? How does it all make sense? And Christ comes in the gap as the monogenes. He is the one of a kind, the one only begotten who can wrap up judgment and deliver love to Sidwin. <laughs> who can wrap up all of the, all, uh, his, all the sinners, all of us in our ruin and take us and make us and deliver us to a holy God who could not even look on us without judgment. Wait, who can take, what about this gap? We know that the, God so loved the world. He so loved the world, Chris. And then it goes right on to judgment. How can you mix love and judgment? How can we understand love on one hand and judgment on the other as existing in the same God? And Christ, as the monogenes, stands in the gap. You see that? He's, he constantly slips into the gap. He constantly slips into the gap. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him right now in your heart. Why not? Why don't you just start praising him right now? Because there's something amazing that's happened. Something you didn't bet on, didn't gamble on. Something your designer religion could never come up with. I get excited about this. Because you see, if eternity has been brought into reality, it doesn't matter how big or old the universe is. I cried out this week for a man who didn't know God two weeks ago. No, I'm sorry, three weeks ago now. Cried out for a man. And so remember, I remember Frank Barker telling this story about when he first started his church. I'll tell Frank's story because it's so good. And I'll probably get it wrong. But, but uh, Frank, early on in the, in the days of Briarwood, when he was planting their, the, the church they go to in um, Birmingham, Alabama, had a, in a Bible study, they were meeting at a storefront, challenged one of the atheists, one of the aggressive uh, agnostics, whatever he was, but he didn't believe and he challenged Frank. Frank's been a prayer partner of mine for 15, 20 years now. And a dear, oh, what's just one, I just love this man. And uh, so he told the guy, he said, well, I'm not gonna do my Frank, inter Frank impersonation. He could hear it though, couldn't you? He goes, well, well, um, we're gonna pray that we run out of chairs this Sunday. Now that's funny, they have a storefront and they never filled it. The guy with him was like, well, that's a good, he thought that was a great gamble because he had been to the church and he knew that this little church plant had no possibility. Of course, as they pulled up that morning, they only discovered that another church happened to cancel or go under or something that particular week. And so, standing room only, they ran out of chairs. 
That was the test. Would they run out of chairs? They ran out of chairs. I think that man not only became a believer, became one of the elders in the church, didn't he? What do I love about that? That's somebody. I've just, I did this recently too. If we're going to take this to be real, we're going to take monogenes out of the clouds and into reality because that's where it goes. That's where it belongs. You see, we can't have our theology be abstract. Otherwise, it doesn't mean anything. And if I want to bring it to real, that's what monogenes is promising to deliver eternal power in this, in, in, this, in this play, in this world, in the physical stuff of this world. Otherwise, it really is a load of garbage. Let me tell you something. If God is not real and cannot become real and cannot answer my specific request for 50 bucks, 100 bucks, a job, or whatever, then really, I'm out of a job and I am cheating all of you I'm just offering a cheat but you know what I happen to know that the eternal God does deliver and, I, and I've seen it and I guess what I'm saying is how, how close are you to putting your life on the line your heart on the line your, your, your giving on the line your requests on the line to trust and to, and to boldly start praying pray for pagans and tell them how name your prayer I'm saying name it and claim it aren't I oh my goodness I just said that you know what? I think naming and claim it's really good theology when you're not looking for something for yourself. I love to name it and claim it for others. If I decide to name it and claim it for myself, you don't want that, trust me. In other words, we're invited into new boldness. We're invited into specific prayer. Somebody was just saying they prayed specifically about work. It was you. It was amazing, wasn't it, Eric? I know I've told you to do this before. Is this the first time you finally listened to me? Just kidding. No, it's just this immediacy. You're working at Roblox. You're working where you're working on code. You're you're presenting a, a, a spreadsheet. You're you're thinking about your team. I put it all on the line because the one and only Son of God, the God of the Father from eternity, is real. Is real as flesh and blood. So are his promises, so are his answers, and so is his love for us. It's exclusivity. It's not a description of who's in and who's out, but just the kind of passion he feels for Ebby, the kind of passion he feels for Tao, for me, for you. It's a way of describing what the monogenes must be. It's my one and only. I'm going to end with this. First of all, you heard a preacher today you can quote this. He said he would prefer atheists over designer Christians, designer, a designer Christ. I understand that. Honestly, I would prefer atheists over much of evangelicalism. Sorry. Because I think most of evangelicalism has created a false god. Doesn't really exist. Not this guy. Not the God man. But I, but I want to end with something even something better. Next, I'm going to encourage you all to become narcissists. Yeah, even you, Peter. Peter's one of the more selfless people in our body, isn't he? He really is. I mean, I mean this sincerely. It's kind of annoying. It makes you feel really guilty. It makes you feel like you're not a nice guy. Hate you, Peter. I want you to become a narcissist. That's how I want to end this. What I mean by this is, listen, what's a narcissist? They think the world revolves around them, right? They think they're the center of the universe. The sun robes instead on them. All that kind of stuff. Okay. But you know what? There's no other way to know God than to be known as his one and only two. As his beloved. 
You see, in Christ, we get that God stuff that we were made with gets recast and revented and recreated to be more like him. What this means is, I don't think it's inappropriate. Yeah, I, get, I, I got scolded many years ago. I get scolded occasionally when I do this. Have you ever heard me say this? Oh, yeah, I prayed for that and it happened. Have you ever heard me say that? I got, I got the target of me in my first church for saying that. Because I was told, how can you claim that your prayers are better than my prayers? I remember being like, well, I, I didn't know it was a contest. All I know is, but that, that quick moment, that brief moment, I need, I need more of all day, so I need to be more gracious. That's still on. That's still on. Uh, I need more gracious at times in how I communicate. I get that. That's not, that's not what I mean. Uh, but the narcissism is that you are allowed to think. You're allowed to think. You're allowed to sit there before God and be the one beloved child. You are. The other sun rises and sets because God's love for you, Scott. You in particular. Yes, it actually, you say, no, it, no, yes, it does. It is a moral universe. Cassiopeia will rise tonight because Jesus loves me. And you can't take it away from me because the only begotten cast the universe into shape and sustains it by his word and his power and then went to a tree to die for me. So I say to you, he erected the stars and the universe and, the, and this world in order to demonstrate the depth of his love to me. And I know it's a message for me and it's a message for you in particular. God loves you. He told me so this morning. He told me. He really gets a kick out of you. You are now, because you're in his one and only son, you are the apple of his eye. So start acting like the universe belongs to you. And humble reliance upon Jesus. I think that's all I had to say. All right, let's let's uh, let's pray. Father, Father, I don't I don't always know how you will answer my prayers. I, I know that you do. I know you answer them all the time. I don't always know how. Um, I thank you that you listen to my advice about how to implement your word. I, honestly, Father, I, I have ideas about what a good response to the message today would be, but I know you have better ones. So, I just pray for the men and women who are here, all of us together, that you give each of us a piece of understanding this, a piece of it, just a part of it, understanding it, so that we can be set free in your love, so we can know how desperately and beautifully we're loved, so we can know how we sit in the center of your plans from eternity, so that it's such a strange thing here. Come here, Father. We come here. We can come to this table because we say we're sinners on one hand and we're worthless and all the worth belongs in Jesus. And then on the other hand, after we know Jesus, we're saying the whole universe is mine. Well, we embrace that. We embrace that, Father, that, that uh, paradox. Or that describes our lives. Whatever we don't understand, whatever didn't make sense to anybody, I pray it be forgotten. And... Uh, that these words of this message would have give, give us new life this very week. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat. And in the same way, he also took a cup of wine, saying, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. 
So here, by the way, we come right full circle, like I said before, back to analogy. By the way, we always use words whenever we do the table. It's an analogy that bridges the gap between us and a holy God. Christ on the night we trade made this table as a way so even the most simple among us can understand his grace. That's wonderful because that's me. All right. I love how Jesus even gave me a little bite-sized. Look, Jesus even gave me a little size portion that's perfect for me. I know Gina poured this, but I feel like it's for me. Um, if you don't know Christ, I think you know the drill. If you don't know Christ, then I, I want you to watch us do this. If you think you're a good person, I feel so bad for you. If you think you're a good person or a good woman, you are on principle excluded from the kingdom. I'm sorry, you'll have to watch from the outside because the promises and love of God are only for sinners who come to Jesus. But if you're a guest here and if you're a cynic or if you're a skeptic, if you're a skeptic, oh, I hope you'll be charmed by our claims. All right. I need you guys to move this blackboard out of the way while we get in this table. Let's stand. We'll do, we'll do that while we're doing the, the Apostles' Creed. Will you stand with me and assent to the, 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 the uh, teachings of a historical gospel? Christian, what, what do you believe? Yeah. Yeah, it's whoever can get it. Just, thanks. Um, Christian, tell me, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. All right, come and get it. Come and get it. Come and get it. In his body. In his body. In his body. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not.